guys, my name is Heather Mosier. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Um, my sobriety date is 8-26-16, and I'm extremely grateful to be sober today. Uh, only by the grace of God and the program of AA do I have my sobriety today. Uh, so thank you to Matthew for inviting me here to speak in Canada. Uh, I'm a multi multiple felon, so this is the only way I get to join you guys ever. So I'm very grateful to be here. Um, so cool. Yeah, we're talking about steps eight and nine today, um, tonight. Step nine is a scary step. So let me back up. The book says when we finish step seven, it says we have then completed step seven. The very next paragraph says now we need more action, without which we find that faith without works is dead. So it's super important. Um, my sponsor taught me that it's these clear cut directions are telling me when and how to do these steps. I was taught to begin step eight immediately after I'm done with my seventh step. It says now, not next week, not next month. So right away, as soon as I'm done with the seventh step prayer, I'm jumping into my step eight list because now I need even more action. It says that we've made a list of all persons we had harmed. We made it when we took inventory. What does that mean? Well, I wrote resentment, fears, and sex inventory, and I just did a fifth step, five, six, seven, and now eight. And so I'm very clear that I have caused some harm because I wrote a fourth column in my fourth step, and I wrote sex inventory, and I'm very aware of all these people that I have harmed. And so with it fresh in my memory, I make a step eight list. Uh, and it's so cool when we look at this because this drastic self-appraisal is not fun for anybody, I don't think. Uh, I did not enjoy the process of writing a four-step. I did not enjoy the process of hearing, having someone hear my fifth step. I definitely did not enjoy getting my list of character defects. Uh, I was, up until that day, very delusional about why my life was going so wrong, and I had no idea how blocked off I was. Um, my sponsor was a fantastic sponsor that took me through the steps and she explained to me that my list of character defects is my causes and conditions. This is the reason I'm blocked off from the power that I need to be connected to. And in order to get unblocked, I have to clean house. I have to do four through nine. Uh, and so when we look at this, step eight is simple. It's just the list. It is literally just the list. And, and when we look at this, am I willing to make these amends? Uh, I really firmly believe the more distance I have between the fifth step and the ninth step, time-wise, uh, the more delusion I get back into that I don't need to make these amends. So I think it's very important that this is a fluid process to have the specific spiritual outcome that we're looking for. Uh, so it says we gotta attempt to sweep away the debris which has accumulated out of our effort to live on self-will and run the show ourselves. It says, if you haven't the will to do this, you ask until it comes. Remember, it was agreed at the beginning that I would go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. So it's super important that I still am reminded through our text why I'm doing this, right? I am supposed to go to any lengths. And I think it's so funny when we sit in meetings sometimes and the topic will be any links then and what does your any links look like and people will randomly say a million different things like oh if you had i was willing to go to any links if you had asked me to run naked around this building 10 times i would have done it really are you willing to make all of your amends <laughs> because that's what the book is talking about any links for victory over alcohol so then we have a step eight list done 
I'm aware of all of these people, places, things, institutions that I owe an amends. Um, and we look at step nine. Step nine is made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. So I was taught that wherever is a place and direct is an intensive word here. We're supposed to go to them in person and make direct amends wherever possible. Sometimes it does require us saving up money and planning trips. Sometimes there is some time in between there, but the whole core about amends, I need to make sure that I'm willing to do these amends no matter what the personal consequences may be, right? I need to have a sincere desire to set right these wrongs. I was taught that the best apology is changed behavior. And so when we're looking in context of these amends, it's not about them forgiving me. It's not about how they feel about me. Uh, it's super important why I'm doing these. I'm doing these to fit or equip myself to be of maximum service to God and the people around me. God can't use me if I stay blocked off and I stay blocked off if I don't make these amends. And so I really needed to finish cleaning house by making amends. So I wanna talk for a second about the middle of page 77. It gives us the three most common reasons why people will try to cop out of amends. Uh, it says the question of how to approach the man we hated will arise. Okay, so right away there's someone that I hate. There's someone that I don't wanna be friends with. There's someone that I don't want in my life anymore. Then they give us this example, or it may be that he's done more harm to me than I've done to him. So here's the third example. They've done more to me. I only did these few things. Here's the list of things they've done to me. Then they give us the third. You may have acquired a better attitude. You may feel over it. You may not want to rehash this again. So those are the most three common excuses, cop-outs that we will hear. And it, the very next sentence says, nevertheless, even with a person you don't like, you take the bid in your teeth. We take the lead. We still have to do these amends anyway. It says we find it much more beneficial to us. That's been very, very true in my experience. In my experience, I benefit spiritually much more making amends to people that I don't like or that have done me more harm or that I don't want in my life anymore because I'm doing it for God, not for them, not for their opinion of me. I need to be connected to my creator at the core. That is why I'm doing this. It tells us uh, never to criticize a person or argue. We simply tell him that you won't get over drinking until you've done your utmost to straighten out the past. So when I was first taken through the steps the first time, I was taught something that I don't do anymore. Uh, I was taught to write out these amends as a script using these words verbatim. Um, as you know, I'm in a program in, re in recovery and it's clear to me that I've caused you harm and I won't get over my drinking and thus I do my utmost to straighten out my past, yada, yada. What I've learned since then is that the script of a written amends can feel very disingenuine uh, and very self-centered. And I've, I've had some negative results <laughs> come from doing some that way and experiences because that person may feel, oh, you're just reading a piece of paper. There's no heart in it. There's no sincere desire to set right the wrong. Or when it says, I gotta do this, I gotta do this to get over my drinking, that person may feel, okay, you're not even sorry. You're only doing this so you don't drink. Uh, so I have since learned not to do the script. Now we do the old school three by five index cards. Uh, and I was taught 
to write them out on these index cards. I'm writing this person's name or this place or this old employer that I owe this amends. And I'm bullet pointing the harms that I've caused and I have it with me and it's like a cheat sheet in case I get stuck, but I'm not purposefully reading from it. It's just to make sure that I'm saying what I went there to say. Um, a couple things about how you say amends. I was also taught to always take them back to my sponsor to be edited and approved before I have permission to make the first approach because the language is super important. We are self-centered alcoholics. And so my default is to minimize uh, what I've done or to give excuses. Uh, like I lied to you because blah, 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 or because of my drinking, I blah, blah, blah. And it really minimizes it. It really takes away the ownership of me owning up to what I've done. And so I was taught that I'm not allowed to list any excuses as to why I've done what I did, any of the harm, or, or list any reasons why I did it, or minimize it in any way. It's just straight up, I lied to you, or I stole from you. It's very specific. Um, the book tells us that we are allowed to, allowed to arrange the best deal we can. There's all sorts of crazy scenarios when it comes to amends. And the example that they give is the guy that owes back child support or back alimony. And so they said it would be impressive heroics if he just goes to the judge and says, here I am. Um, but it says we're allowed, allowed to arrange the best deal we can. We can be smart about it. I have personal experience around arranging the best deal we can uh, because I had a lot of legal issues when I got sober. Um, and I was supposed to go do five years in prison. And one of the options, if that's what God wanted me to do, would be to call up the state of Oklahoma and just go do my time. Uh, and my sponsor was fantastic at guiding me around what is it the state of Oklahoma is asking you to do. They don't want you in prison. They want you to do A, B, C, D, and E. And so I was able to hire an attorney and do A, B, C, D, and E and stay out of prison. I was allowed to arrange the best deal I can. Um, the book is very clear that we have to be willing to go to any lengths and do this, again, no matter what the personal consequences may be. It even says you may lose your position, your job, your reputation, but you're willing. You have to be. You must not shrink at anything. Uh, and this is a very scary thing to face. Um, but for me, drinking and going back to the misery that I was in before was even scarier. And so I really knew that this was life or death for me, that I was drowning in alcoholism and I had to be willing to go to any lengths. It does talk about other people being involved in amends that you may owe. And it's very clear if other people are involved or they were uh, involved in the crime or they're dependent upon you, the book's clear, you must secure their consent before you're allowed to go and make that amends. And so the analogy I always give, I'll pick on Andrew since he's here tonight. Let's say Andrew and I were not sober and we decide to go rob a Walmart truck for 40 TVs. We sell them, we go buy a bunch of booze and we're just in cahoots with this, right? But I get sober. I get sober and I get to amends and I know I owe Walmart for my half of the 40 TVs that Andrew and I stole. And, and so I have to go to him and ask for his consent because he would be implicated in this. And if Andrew tells me, no, I'm not allowed to do this in any way that would cause him harm. We make direct amends wherever possible, except when to do, do so would injure them or others. If I had done this crime alone, then I have to be willing to go to Walmart and say, here I am, let me make this right, no matter what the personal consequences may be. 
Uh, the book then goes into about sticky situations with sex and infidelity. I will absolutely default to your sponsor. Please ask them about that because that can be very sticky. But one thing is very, very clear in this book. We do make amends to our exes. I have no idea where Alcoholics Anonymous started saying that we don't, but I've definitely heard that. And it's very weird. Uh, page 69 literally says that we make amends for the harms we've caused. And that's talking about our sex inventory. Page 79 gives us the example, like I said, of the guy who owes alimony, but he has wife number two and he has to make it right with wife number one. He has to arrange the best deal he can, but these are two very clear examples the book gives us of making amends uh, to ex, ex-lovers, ex-husbands, ex-wives, ex-boyfriends. So it's very clear that we definitely do that. So in looking at, in context with this, I'll give you some personal experiences that I've had with amends that are pretty powerful. Uh, the one that strikes me as interesting because I learned multiple lessons from this amends. I was about three or four months sober and God let me remember something that I had not remembered when I wrote inventory. So I remembered that I owed a guy in town $70. I owed him $70 because a year prior, a group of us were going to go on a sober camping trip and float the river and do, you know, the sober trip thing that they do every year. And we were all going to stay in cabins. And so one guy had fronted the money for all of us, and we were supposed to each pay him $70 when we got there. Well, I didn't stay sober that day, and I definitely didn't show up to the camping trip. And so fast forward a year later, I finally do get sober, and I'm about three months sober. And God lets me remember that amends. And I'm like, oh, I owe this guy $70. I forgot. So I go to my sponsor and she's like, set aside that money, blah, blah, blah. And so I call him and I said, hi, uh, you know, I remembered something and I, and I believe I owe you an amends. Would you be willing to hear an amends from me? And his response was, no, Heather, don't worry about it. We're all good. And I was like, I had the $70 saved up. I really wanted this opportunity to make this amends. And so I kind of pushed again. And I was like, well, I don't think you understand. Uh, I'm ready to make this amends. I, I would like to make it right. And he's like, Heather, don't worry about it. I said, I know what this is about and you're good. And so I got off the phone with him and I called my sponsor and she was like, cool. You don't force anybody to take the money. You're done. I thought this was really cool. I get to keep the $70. However, thank God for other people in the AA, <laughs> and uh, a friend of mine at the time pointed out to me that he was the poster child for middle-of-the-road solution for 25 years, and he had made plenty of mistakes along the way, and he says, Heather, it's correct that you cannot force him to take the money, but the money is not yours. You are not done. That money is God's. You have to pay it back into the spirit of the universe. You have to do something with that money. And so I called the organization that, that does the camping trips and I scholarshiped the $70 for somebody the next time that they go to that trip. So it's pretty cool that I learned a lesson. Yes, you don't force someone to take the money. You don't ever force someone to even hear an amends. Um, but the money is still not mine. I still owe it to God. And I still had to pay it right back into the spirit of the universe. So another one that really sticks out in my mind is the amends that I owed to an ex-husband. While I was drinking, I robbed his house and robbed this guy of just about everything you can imagine. Guitars, amps, computers, uh, just 
everything. I, even an AK-47, I tricked off his AK-47. I, I owed him thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. I have no idea the correct amount, but I had written an approximate amount of what I thought I owed him. And I didn't know how I would ever pay him back. Uh, so I was about a year sober and I decided that I was ready to start hiring an attorney and facing my criminal issues. And I had actually debated calling ex-husband to ask for the money for an attorney. And it really didn't sit right between me and God. And I knew I wasn't going to be allowed to ask him for money anymore. Uh, and the same day, my dad surprised me. I didn't even ask my dad to do this. He paid for that attorney for my criminal stuff. And, and he communicated to me that this was the last time he could financially help me. But if I was ever in a position to pay him back, he sure would appreciate it. And so I began the journey of fixing the criminal, not knowing how I was going to make amends to my ex-husband. Literally the next day, ex-husband calls me, asks how I'm doing, and I tell him I'm sober, and he's glad that I'm doing okay, and he says, listen, I need your help. He said, I, I retired from the military, but I can't access any of the retirement because we were still married. It wasn't final yet. And so he was like, I need you to sign this piece of paper so I can access my retirement money. And I said, are, are, what you, are you asking me to sign away my half to your retirement? And he said, yes, I'm, I'm really behind on my house payments. I'm behind on my bills. I, I really do need the money. Right then it clicked in my head that God was giving me an opportunity to pay this guy back and make it right. Thousands that I would never, ever be able to legit make and do this quickly. And so I said, sure. Um, how quickly can we do this? And he said, I'll be in, I'll be in Texas in two days. And so he drove from Oklahoma to Texas and, and he met me at the FedEx and I signed away my half of his retirement. And my mom was so mad at me. My mom was like, Heather, you're an idiot for doing this. You're entitled to it. You've been married more than 10 years. You're supposed to get this money. It'll set you up, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I said, mom, no, I know in my heart that if I have any sense of greed or entitlement to this money, I'm not going to stay connected to God and I'm not going to stay sober, but I have to do this. This is the right thing to do. God's either everything or he's nothing. God's either going to take care of me or I'm going to rely on someone else's money my entire life. And so he came to Texas. I signed it away and we went to a little park bench and he allowed me to make amends to him. And I mentioned all the things that I had stolen that I could remember and the approximate dollar amount. And I asked him if me signing that money was, was okay, if that was uh, okay with him to accept. And he said, absolutely. Uh, and we stayed on good terms. So that was a really cool experience that I got to have. Um, so the next two amends that stick out in my mind are making amends to my mom and my dad. I'm from Oklahoma and I came to Texas to get sober and my parents had not saw me in a few years. I was 18 months sober uh, when I finally arranged transportation to get back to Oklahoma to make amends to my family. Um, my mom has uh, some severe mental health issues. Uh, and so from time to time, she goes to a mental health asylum for a few weeks at a time to kind of reset and get the medicine right. And I happened to be going on the weekend of my birthday. I would be there making amends to my family on my birthday. And so I go up there and I remember preparing my dad's amends with 
my sponsor before I went. And I knew, I knew all of the basic stuff, like, you know, I hasn't, I haven't been a good daughter. I lied to you about this or that, or I didn't appreciate this or that, you know, I had a lot of specific things like that, but there was two things that I knew that were on my heart to figure out how to make right. Number one was the $3,000 for the attorney that he had paid for when I was one year sober. And so I set aside a few hundred dollars uh, to hand to him that day and agree to make payments every month until he was paid off. The other thing I was not sure about, because I didn't know if I wanted to tell my dad this, but uh, years and years, when I was 18 years old, my dad took my deceased grandma's diamond wedding ring and he had it melted down and he custom made my mom and my sister and I different rings using my grandma's diamonds. And so these were rings that were really sentimental. My dad had custom designed each one. And when I was in my mid twenties, my sister had pawned hers and I talked so much crap about her for doing that to the family. Uh, I just totally, um, character assassinated her uh, for pawning this sentimental item. However, in my 30s, when I started drinking and my life got turned upside down, that was one of the first things I pawned was the ring my dad had made for me. And so the book talks about, and I know it's, I know it's talking about sex when it says this uh, in particular, but if you're sure they don't know, should you tell them? Or if they suspect, should you tell them in detail, right? And so each case is different. And so I was going over this with my sponsor and I said, you know, I don't want to tell my dad I pawned this ring, but at the same time, I don't want this to come up five or 10 years from now when I had the opportunity to have a clean slate with my dad and I don't say it in this amends. And so my sponsor is a great sponsor and she's like, you need to pray about it and you need to do whatever God tells you. So I decided that I would tell my dad. So I drive up to Oklahoma uh, my dad and I are sitting in his truck because he's taking me to the mental health asylum that my mom is in for me to make amends to her in a mental health facility. And uh, and I had already asked for permission to make these amends before I left, and they both agreed. And so I sat and I, uh, I did my amends with my dad, and I owned up to a laundry list of things and harms that I had caused. And I owned up to the ring because I wanted an honest, clean slate with my dad. And, and as soon as I said, you know, the thing I regret the most is pawning that ring that you had made for me, he just shook his head. And he was like, I figured. <laughs> so he had already, you know, assumed that I had done that. And I said, in addition to that, I owe you $3,000 for my attorney's fees. And I'm in a different financial position today, and I would like to give you this. And it was, I think, two or three hundred dollars that I brought him. And I said, and I'll pay you a hundred dollars a month every month until you're paid off. Uh, and at first, he didn't want to accept the money, and so I did explain to him, you don't have to take it, because he's like, it's your birthday. I can't take money from you on your birthday. I haven't seen you in years. And I said, you don't have to take it, but I need you to know that if you don't, I don't get to keep it. Uh, so I would have to figure out how to give it to God anyway. And so he was like, okay, I'll spend it on your kids. And he did take it, you know? And, uh, and so I got to have this really honest, clean slate with my dad. Uh, one of the coolest things about that amends, my relationship with him is completely different today. And I finished paying off the $3,000. Uh, and so he's fully paid back and I still send him money anyway. 
I still send him money anyway, and it means a lot to him. And he thanks me for it all the time, even though he doesn't need to. I just know it's the right thing to do. I owe him a lot more than the 3000 That was just the only thing that he specifically asked for back. So the other cool one was my mom. So as I said, she was in a mental health facility at the time. They're readjusting this medication. My mom's a little woman. She's 4'11". The sweetest, kindest person you can ever encounter. Um, but she has strong delusions that aren't true that put her in a lot of fear and a lot of panic and, and a lot of anxiety. And so um, I'm a selfish alcoholic. And so my first thought was, great, you knew I was coming. It's my birthday. And you decided to go to a mental health facility. And now I have to, you know, I'm an alcoholic and I'm selfish. So my dad takes me and we clear the security and we go into this mental health ward and it's visiting hours and um, my mom's sitting at a table and she has Parkinson's, so she shakes really bad. And I asked her if she was, you know, clear enough for me to make amends to her today, uh, like we'd talked about. And she said, oh, yeah, yeah. And I've, I've treated my mom like crap my entire life, you guys. Um, I've never been kind to her. I've always been mean to her. I have blocked her number on my phone for years at a time. I've physically thrown her out of my house. I have verbally, emotionally, and physically abused her for most of my life. And uh, I got to own up to that and admit all of these things. But even bigger than that, the direct amends in person, I've lived out the amends. I've never yelled at my mom. I've never blocked her number since I've been sober. I have treated her completely different. God has given me love and tolerance and patience where Heather has none. The thing about, in AA, sometimes you'll hear about living amends. <laughs> and I just want to be real clear. I, I was taught that living amends are bullshit. It's a cop-out. The, the ninth step is direct amends. Yes, you go and make the direct amends, but then you live out the amends with changed behavior. That's a living amends. So I went to my mom in person and I make a direct amends and I explain the bad behavior and the harms. But then I live it out by not doing those things anymore. And I was always taught that you can't make amends for unchanged behavior. It means nothing if you do that. Then you're going to constantly owe new amends. And uh, God's either emotionally rearranged you or he has not. And, and for me, God completely emotionally rearranged me. My mom's no different. <laughs> My mom is no different today than she was in the past 34 years. My dad's no different. I'm different. And I see the world in a different lens. And I know with 1000% certainty that God holds me accountable to be the daughter they deserve. God holds me accountable to be the daughter they deserve, period, regardless of what I want. <laughs> I'm supposed to be kind and loving and tolerant. And so even today, I'm not one of those people that talk to my mom every day or feel like I need my mom in my life to be okay, right? But when I see that phone ring and it's my mom, God is giving me an opportunity to be the daughter she deserves. And I connect that with God each time. I don't need to answer it. I don't, I don't really want to talk to her. But God is saying it's time to talk to her. It's time to spend some time on the phone and be the daughter she deserves. So I get to live out my amends 
by answering the phone and being the daughter she deserves. And I have a great relationship with my parents today. Um, they believe and see a different me. Um, and, and it's really just amazing. It's amazing to get to be a part of that and what God's done with my life. Another cool amends has to do with my back child support, ironically, in the state of Oklahoma. So when I got sober uh, and I'd, I'd been, I had abandoned my kids for years. And so I owed around $30,000 in back child support. And I owed the state of Oklahoma time and money. And um, it seemed like a black cloud that I could never make any, any uh, lead on or any headway. I just didn't think this, there would ever be light at the end of this tunnel. And um, I moved from Kerrville to Houston when I was 18 months sober. And I had made this accountability list with my sponsor of just a checklist of things that I needed to do to, to get anywhere with all of this stuff. I didn't have a driver's license. I didn't have a social security number card. I didn't have a birth certificate. I have no way to prove who I was to even do community service, to even mail them, you know, the certificates. And so it was a really uphill battle. Uh, and I remember just going through that check mark. Okay, today I, I go to the social security office. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, today I'm calling to get my birth certificate and paid and mailed to me. And it, it was just, you know, check mark, check mark, check mark. And things started happening. And so then I finally get an ID and I applied to do community service at a place around the corner from my house. And I'm working and I'm almost done with all these hours of community service so I can mail it to the state of Oklahoma because I owe it that. That's my amends. Uh, and I remember talking to my sponsor one day about it. And she says, don't you owe like a lot of back child support? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to set that up uh, when I, you know, here soon. I'm going to set that up. But Donnie, my husband, makes great money. So I think we're just going to, you know, auto draft it. And she was like, wait a minute. What? Uh, and so I was like, well, you see, my husband wants me to, you know, be a stay at home housewife. And she was like, that's cute. Listen, <laughs> She goes, your husband can pay for the food in your mouth, the clothes on your back, the roof over your head. He cannot pay your financial amends for you. Uh, she said, otherwise, he's getting in the way of you getting to God. And I'm pretty sure your husband isn't, want, isn't wanting to get in between you and God. And so she explained to me the spiritual uh, price that I would pay if I didn't pay these amends about child support myself. And I knew she was right. I just didn't like it. <laughs> and so I go to my husband and I'm explaining what I have to do. And I'm thinking, how am I even going to get a job? I don't even have a driver's license yet. I only have an ID to prove who I am. And so she said, my sponsor said, I'm giving you two weeks to get a job, Heather. As soon as you're done with your community service, you have two weeks to get a job. I don't care if you're flipping burgers. Nothing is beneath you. You're going to pay back your amends. Are you willing to go to any links or not? So I knew that she was right and I agreed that I would do that. And the last week of my community service, the office lady pulls me aside and she says, hey, you have a really great work ethic. You're a hard worker and we normally don't do this, but would you like to work for us just for the rest of the season? Uh, we really appreciate you here. And this is something that's one mile from my house that I can Uber to. And so they offered me a job. And so I was like, boom, there's God showing up for me. There's God giving me the ability to start paying my child support myself. And so I took the job, uh, worked there. I started making my own uh, back child support payments and current child support payments. Uh, and when that job was coming to an end, I knew I needed, I had gotten my driver's license. 
uh, and I decided to get a certification in a certain field. And, uh, and it's so crazy how God worked this out. I'm not even done with the seasonal job at the community service place before I get put into this certification. And I'm not even done with that. And in one day, three different sponsees of mine who do not know each other called me to tell me about a job that was hiring specifically in the certification that I was getting. And one sponsee even knew the guy personally that was hiring. She's like, I've already called him. I've already told him about you. Check your email. He wants to hire you. Boom. So there's this guy emailing me. I don't even look for the second job. And it happens to be where I work today. And so I have spent the last almost two years working there. And I am almost done paying all my back child support. Uh, it, it will be done next year, probably by May. And, and it's so cool how God has shown up like that. Uh, I'm also completely done with all of my criminal legal issues. Definitely not going to prison. That was completely done February of 2020. And so it's so cool to look at what God's willing to do with us when we're willing to go to any lengths. I wasn't trying to get out of anything. You know, when I look at even the seven felonies that I had in the, the time and the money I owed the state of Oklahoma, I'm not trying to like get a good attorney and get out of it. I'm guilty for what I'm charged with. I'm actually guilty for a whole lot more they didn't catch me on. So who am I to try to get out of this? That's going to, again, be a spiritual price that I'll pay if I'm trying to take the easier, softer way. But because I was willing to go to any lengths, God's like, no, girl, that's cool. You don't even have to do that. Let me arrange this. And I always see God's hand in everything. Part of the book that I love is the alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others, right? And they give this, you know, very damaging analogy. And I can look back in my whole life, sober or not sober, before getting sober in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I was always that tornado. I was always thinking, you didn't treat me right. You didn't pay me enough attention. You misunderstand me. You don't appreciate me. I'm a constant Eeyore, you know, Winnie the Pooh, the Eeyore, the woe is me and just never happy. Like, that's just how I went through life. It's just how I went through life. And, and then I work these steps and I'm forced to swallow some large chunks of truth about myself and look at these character defects and these amends that I owe. And it's like, oh my God, that's me. I really was abrasive. I really was full of self-pity. I really was in all this delusion. And then how cool that God gives us these opportunities, these clear-cut directions to clean this up and have a clean slate and live a different life. And so when we look at this tornado, it says hearts are broken, sweet relationships are dead, affections have been uprooted, selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. I love this line. We feel a man is unthinking when he says that sobriety is enough. He's like a farmer who came up out of his cyclone cellar to find his home ruined. And to his wife, he remarks, don't see anything matter here, Ma. Ain't it grand? The wind stopped blowing. So many times we come into this program and we get sober and we're like, look at me, I'm sober now. Look, mom, look, husband, look, dad, look, family, I'm sober now. And the book is clear. It's telling us we're stupid if we think sobriety is enough. We have years of damage and reconstruction ahead to make these things right. This is not about just being sober. You know, this guy that comes out of the cyclone, he's like, cool, the wind stopped blowing. His wife, Ma, is like, yeah, but we have no home. 
there's still all this damage. I still don't trust you. You still haven't paid this. There's all this damage. I'm a very firm believer that we should not be settling for sobriety and we should be aiming for recovery. And a recovered person lives a life differently today. A recovered person corrects these mistakes and changes the behavior and figures out how to live in love and tolerance and harmony with their family and their friends and the people around us. I have to make right on all the years, the 34 years I treated my mom like crap. It doesn't just take the direct amends. I got to live it out. He says that there's a long period of reconstruction ahead, but we must take the lead. Earlier in the pages, it said we must take the bit in our teeth. It's the same analogy. That means I go first. I'm not waiting for them to treat me differently. I'm not waiting for them to be sorry. I'm not waiting for them to be different. I got to take the lead. I got to be different. But I need God's power to be any different and show up differently. The spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. And it says that our behavior will convince them more than our words. I, I know that when I've made these direct amends to my sister and my niece and my family, um, the words would have been completely pointless and empty had I not followed it through with, with behaving and treating them differently. Um, so then the ninth step gives us some really cool promises at the end. And I want to focus on those because there's always some confusion in the rooms, right? So the bottom of 83 to the top of 84 is the ninth step promises. And I'm always very, very careful and specific to make sure I call them the ninth step promises. Why? Because our fellowship does a really horrible job of confusing the newcomer by not explaining that these are the ninth step promises. Too many meetings and clubhouses have these posted as the promises, or they read them at the beginning or the end of every meeting as the promises. And if I'm just two or three or four months sober and I'm just a meeting maker and I haven't worked any steps, I'm going to start getting really pissed off that this stuff isn't coming true for me. And we do the newcomer a great disservice by not explaining to them at what stage in the steps do these begin to come true. If they just think if I just go to more meetings or if I just hang out more, this stuff's bound to come true. And it's not. It's very clear. It says if we are painstaking about this phase, what phase? House cleaning phase, four through nine. You're going to be amazed before we're halfway through. Halfway through with what? The ninth step. You're immense. Then it's the promises. You're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. You will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. Pause right there because I've been through some really dark stuff. And I never thought in a million years that that experience was ever going to be beneficial. I thought it was going to be some traumatic thing that I just had to deal with or live with the rest of my life. And today I know that I've had plenty of experiences sitting across knee to knee with another woman. And I get to talk about these experiences that I've had because she's had them too. And I get to really share that with her and bring her some hope of how that she's going to use the same experience to help the girls behind her. Says that feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. I'm not Eeyore anymore. <laughs> I have real joy and real happiness in my life. It says that we'll lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. 
and we will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. So notice something about these ninth step promises. They're all internal changes. None of these things are external. These are all things going on inside me. And so these are all guideposts. These are all red flags that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism is happening. This is where getting recovered from the hopeless state of mind and body is beginning to come to fruition. When we're looking at, at these promises, we are being emotionally rearranged, like Carl Jung on page 27 talked about. We're beginning to have the psychic change that Silkworth, Silkworth in the doctor's opinion talked about. It's so important that we look at this in context. This is not back problems, right? People talk about we have back problems in AA. I got my wife back or my car back or my job back. And, and these people seem to just get stuff back and drink, get stuff back and drink, right? We're not talking about any of the external stuff, remember? Because back in the fourth step, we learned that we're constantly a victim of the delusion that we're going to wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if we just manage well. It's a delusion because happiness does not lie in external things. It's an inside job. And when I finally clean house and I get the wreckage cleared and I get connected to this power, my self-pity, my Eeyore syndrome, my narcissism, it starts to fade and I'm actually interested in you. I'm actually interested in being a good daughter to my mom. So I love looking in context because we cannot expect and we should not allow newcomers to expect these things to happen unless they've honestly and thoroughly worked one through nine. And it says, are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. Sometimes quickly is referring to the burning bush white light experience that Bill Wilson had in his hospital bed. But the sometimes slowly is referring to the educational variety of a spiritual experience back in appendices too. And so we can always look at this in context, but it says it'll always materialize if we work for it. So I get really excited when we talk about this because I needed to be emotionally rearranged. I knew that my only chance of staying sober was this personality change or spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. And so these are the first really important promises that put that in context that this is happening. Now, my favorite promises happen to be the 10th step, but I'm not talking about the 10th step tonight. But it's super important that we look at this because it was no accident that my friend talked to another friend who asked me to come speak here tonight of all, all weeks because I got to experience one of my most dramatic amends last weekend. So I'll end with this story. I left my children to drink seven years ago. And they were seven and 10 when I left. And I'm four years sober now, but I haven't been allowed much contact with them. I'm just beginning to repair a relationship with my daughter. Um, and so we've been driving back and forth every other weekend to Oklahoma. So I can spend two hours supervised with my son and I can spend the weekend with my daughter. And because she's been around me a few times and she can see that I'm a little bit different and she can see that I'm keeping my word, I decided that she's 17 now. She was 10 when I left and she's 17 now. I decided that now was the time to go ahead and make the direct amends. And so my husband went outside to smoke a cigar because I told him what I was doing and me and her were sitting at the kitchen table. And I got to own up to what, what I did to her. 
an age appropriate way, I sat down and I told her, I am sorry. I'm sorry I left. It was nothing that you did. I'm sorry I've stayed gone all these years. I'm sorry I wasn't around to take you shopping or to talk to you about puberty or boys or dating. I'm sorry you had to be the girl at school with no mom at the PTA stuff. I'm just sorry for everything I missed out on. And I regret it a lot. But I'm in your life now and I'm not gonna leave your life again. And I'll spend every moment of the rest of my life just trying to be there for you and rebuild this relationship. I can't erase what happened, but I want a new relationship with you where you trust me and, and where you come to me with things and you know that you can ask me anything. And she was so kind. She was more, she was concerned about me. She was patting me saying, mom, it's okay. It was just such a, a cool moment because I'm rebuilding trust with her and I'm rebuilding this relationship and, uh, and she's open to it. She doesn't hate me. And so I'm really just focused on showing up and being the mother that she deserves and not giving her opinions of what she need, needs to do or doesn't need to do. I've missed those years. Um, and, and when I asked her, you know, is there anything that you would like me to do to start making it right? Her response was, can we do girly stuff together? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, we can do that. Um, how cool that God's restoring that. And, and I get to go, she's flying out here for Thanksgiving week and I'm going to do a spa day with her. And, you know, cause these are things that mean something to her and these are ways that I can make it right. So when it comes to amends, there's financial amends, there's direct amends, but we have to live them out. Sobriety is not enough. We really have to be internally rewritten by God. And when that happens, we show up differently. Um, I'm just really grateful that God is giving me all these opportunities and, and sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. You know, I'm four years sober, just now making amends to one kid. I still have to get access to the other one and work on that. But it's in God's timing, not mine. It's all about God's timing, not mine. Um, one thing I know about God now is he's never late, but he's not early either. <laughs> his timing is perfect. And I just need to set my sails to his wind. He's got it all. I don't have to worry about it. So I'm, I think amends and context are super important. I've sponsor, I sponsor and have sponsored a lot of women and four and nine are where I lose them. Either they don't want to write the inventory, they don't believe they have to, or they're not willing to make the amends. Uh, and, and if they're a chronic alcoholic like I am, we drink again 100% of the time. And so I hope that I've been helpful to anybody here tonight talking about amends. Uh, it's one of the most powerful steps. This is where the psychic change begins to happen and we get to be internally rewritten. And then we maintain this with 10, 11, and 12. So thank you so much for allowing me to be here. Thank you, Canada, for having me. Uh, Matthew for asking me and Rodney. Thank you, guys.